0: St. Louis County experienced two really big stories this week, and they happened to drop on Monday within hours of each other. On Monday morning, St. Louis County Police Chief John Belmar announced he would retire in April, giving a police board that St. Louis County Executive Sam Page mostly appointed the opportunity to choose his replacement. Then the county announced that they had settled a lawsuit with Lt. Keith Wildhaber, whose discrimination lawsuit led to calls for Belmar to step down. Wildhaber himself said he was pleased to resolve the matter, which prompted widespread introspection about how the county police department treats LGBTQ employees.
1: got 26 years in. I want to uh, finish my career on my terms, and uh, that's getting to the uh, retirement age.
0: On this edition of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Public Radio's Julie O'Donohue and Rachel Lipman join me to talk about this double feature of St. Louis County news. We also chat with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch's Jacob Barker about how Rex Singfeld spreads his money around in county politics. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics.
2: It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there.
3: But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room... And you're getting ready to make a decision, and everybody in the room looks like you. You need to stop.
1: And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want
2: everybody to uh, know that we're all working together.
3: I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. (laughs)
0: And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio today is my co-host.
4: Julia Donahue.
0: And my special co-host today.
3: <laughs> Rachel Lipman.
0: So a little bit of news happened in St. Louis County this week. Is that eh, fair to say? Yeah, eh, a lot nothing of Nothing out of the ordinary, so, you know. Well, I mean, just so much little news happened that we're going to be devoting the entire first segment to the two big events in St. Louis County government. The first is the announcement that Chief John Belmar is retiring in April. And the second is the settlement of Lieutenant Keith Wildhaber's discrimination case. Both were really big news that happened, what, within eight hours of each other?
3: Yeah, Yeah. at the most. (laughs) So
0: let's talk about Belmar first. I think for people that have followed this Wildhaber saga, I think There was something in the back of our minds that knew that this was probably going to end with Belmar leaving, but Rachel, Julie, what happened on that front?
3: I, I mean, I think the when we were just, you know, talking as reporters when the Wild Haber uh, verdict was first announced and the fallout from it and what it meant for the department, I mean, what I was honestly surprised is that it took until February for him to announce that he was going to retire and that it is actually going to happen in April. I thought it would be before the end of the year, they would make the announcement that January 1st, there would be a new chief. Now, I believe people when they say that it wasn't part of the settlement, it wasn't in the documents, but did the, you know, settlement and what it revealed about promotions in the St. Louis County Police Department have some role in maybe pushing him to retire sooner than he was planning? Possibly. It's, you know, the settlement document does not say Chief John Belmar will retire as a result of this case. But did it play a role? Yes.
0: Julie, you talked with Councilwoman Lisa Clancy, the chairwoman of the St. Louis County Council, and she provided this reaction.
2: We have a new police board We've got some new, um, some new, other new things happening within the St. Louis County Police Department that have been announced within the past couple of months. And it really seems like the time is ripe for some new energy, some fresh ideas, a new perspective to come in and lead this important part of county government.
4: I think it's interesting to note, and Rachel and I talked about this uh, earlier in the week, that there wasn't a lot of uh, platitudes or things, nice things said about the police chief. Um, as on his way out the door, Lisa Clancy may have been sort of the least nice. She didn't say anything outright negative, but she said that she was happy that this was happening. Um, I think she is hoping that there is more community input in who the next chief is. She she said that explicitly. And for what it's worth, the police board is starting off their process with three community meetings, the first one of which is next Wednesday in Florissant. So, she did not say this explicitly, but I think maybe she would like to see a person of color, maybe a woman, you know, someone someone who she thinks is going to change the dynamics a little bit.
0: Before we touch on Belmar's legacy a bit more, Rachel, how realistic do you think it would be that Belmar's successor could be an African-American or a woman or a female African-American?
3: An African-American or a woman of color is pretty unlikely. Um, the police board will determine who is eligible for promotion to chief. There's nothing sort of written into rules or guidelines that says you have to be of a certain rank to get chief. Uh, when when Tim Fitch, who's now on the county council, was promoted in 2009, the promotion was open to captain and above. When uh, Chief Belmar was promoted in 2014, it was open to lieutenant colonel or above. There are two uh, black men who are currently lieutenant colonels. Uh, lieutenant Colonel Ken Gregory, he's a deputy chief, and a name that a lot of people are going to recognize, Lieutenant Colonel Troy Doyle, who is the commander of the Division of operations, Operational Support. If you expand that down to captain, you would add an additional three men of color and at least two white women. But if you are promoting from captain or above, there are no women of color who are eligible at any level. Um, John Bowman with the St. Louis County NWB. NAACP and Adolphus Pruitt, his counterpart in the city, both explicitly said as well that they would like to see an individual of color promoted to chief of the St. Louis County Police Department. If I were a betting person, which I'm not, I would put my money probably on Lieutenant Colonel Doyle. Um, He was brought in to kind of clean up the the mess at the St. Louis County Jail. He... um, is pretty media savvy. He knows how to talk to the press. Um, back when he used to command the North County, de- uh, I don't remember he was a commander of North County, but he was based up in North County during some of the Ferguson protests. He would often live stream on Periscope and give commentary as to what he was seeing. So he's, I think, considered approachable and you know, well-liked enough within the department to have been promoted to this role and to be given a pretty heavy lift at the jail.
0: I don't think we can talk about John Belmar without talking about how he was chief during the protests after Michael Brown's death. Um, I think that some people may disagree with this observation, but in the first week after Michael Brown was killed, I don't think many people were very happy with how the county responded. I don't think so either. I know that a lot of county police officers too were not happy that the highway patrol took over command. But that could have been a direct response to how Belmar was leading that situation. What do you think his legacy will be, given that his role during Ferguson looms so large?
3: I think it will end up being a little bit mixed. What I also I noticed the same thing uh, that Julie did as well. That that the praise for him was just not effusive, even coming from his own men. The St. Louis County Police Officers Association didn't say anything like "We wish him the best in retirement." They said, "We look forward to continue to advocating for our members with whoever is the next chief, and we believe that the next chief is already employed by the St. Louis County Police Department." Not saying we wish him the best that we enjoyed working with him as chief. I mean. I think Belmar tried to do what he thought would be right after the Ferguson protests. He called in the Department of Justice to do an after-action review, which avoided any sort of heavy-handed settlement or civil rights actions. He has established this diversity and inclusion uh, unit, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but it all... how serious he was about addressing some of the concerns that were part of that after-action review. A lot of people had questions about.
0: Well, let's let's uh, transition into the other big news that happened uh, like eight hours later, and that is the ten point two five million dollar settlement that the county has made to Lieutenant Keith Wildhaber. As everybody knows, because we've talked about it on the show before, he won a twenty million dollar jury award because the jury found it credible that he was passed up for promotions because he was gay.
3: And also that he was retaliated against when he complained.
0: Julie, you actually talked with Keith Wildhaber, and I'm really interested how that interview went, because this was the first time he's spoken publicly since this entire story broke into the open.
4: I would say, you know, um, my impressions of him, and this is the first time I've a- ever met him, um, is that he really loves being a police officer. I mean, he will not get the whole 10250000 million. He'll get about $6.5 million over the next two years. But that's a lot of money. And he uh, seemed pretty set on staying a police officer for the foreseeable future. He's got no interest in leaving the department.
0: But it seemed like he was pretty satisfied with the way things worked out here.
4: First of all, he said the negotiations or the mediation with the county was cordial. Um, he felt like everyone kind of wanted to get to a solution, and he feels like both sides were happy with the solution. He also went out of his way to say that he appreciated the county executive Sam Page had been gracious in his remarks and had been, uh, I guess, on in Keith Wildhaber's mind, like in the on the right side of the issue. Um, He mentioned that specifically. He seemed very happy with the county's response. He specifically said he's happy with the uh, new appointments to the police board. He's happy with the inclusion of the, you know, the new unit that he heads, which is the diversity and inclusion unit, which is supposed to make sure that there's equity. They're going to look at the aforementioned promotion uh, situation. Make sure people feel like they're being included in the police department if they're a member of a minority.
0: Here's Lieutenant Wildhayberg. Well,
1: I think both sides were uh, uh, pretty motivated to put this behind us. Um, it never got to the point that we were flipping tables over and, and throwing chairs when we were uh, working through things. It was very, uh, very professional. Everybody was uh, very cordial to each other. And uh, we, we worked uh, to resolve it. And I think uh, I think both sides walked away feeling like they got the the best deal.
0: Now, there are going to be some steps that county government is going to need to take in order for this settlement to occur. I'm going to have St. Louis County Executive Sam Page explain this. This is a lengthy clip, but this is going to be a relatively complicated process, so I want to make sure what the county executive is saying is in context.
5: Well, so the uh, settlement comes out of the insurance fund. It was broken into two pieces, some this year, some next year. We'll make the first payment in 60 days or so, so it'll come out of our insurance fund, which is budgeted. And then what I'd like to offer to the council is the chance to pay that over time, um, similar to if you took out a mortgage on your house to make small payments um, amortized over 30 years, and that allows us the option to pay it off early whenever we choose to do so. In the meantime, we'll work with the insurance company and all the responsible parties. We have a $2 million deductible and we'll work with the insurance company to get that payment. It's a big payment. Uh, The difference between $10 million and $2 million is a lot of money and any insurance carrier, health insurance, um, automobile insurance, um, homeowner's insurance, when there's a payment to be made, um, they're going to hesitate. And we believe that our insurance documents and our contract with the third-party administrator is very solid and that they will have to pay us.
0: Now, bonding is never a perfect solution because when you take out debt, you're going to have to pay more money in interest than if you just wrote a $10 million check. But from hearing that clip and from peppering Sam Page with questions, the hope from the county is that they're going to be able to get the insurance money and then pay off the bonds pretty quickly. Whether that happens instantaneously or whether it takes years is unknown.
4: Well, I think it's important to point out that maybe the advantage of going with bonds is that you don't have to make cuts to existing county services to pay off this settlement to Mr. Wildhaber. Um, so it, it was interesting to me that the Republicans and Democrats on the county council who are not agreeing on much recently, they seem like there's some tacit agreement on this jason
0: basically i asked mark harder about and he's like we don't have any other choice but to bond so i don't think that this is going to be controversial even though i don't think it's something that anybody wants to do.
4: Right. And Councilman Harder would be the one who would probably object, to be honest.
3: He told me when I spoke to him the night the settlement was announced, he hadn't really had a chance to look at it. But he said, any way we do this, it's going to be expensive. And there probably just isn't enough slack in the St. Louis County budget to figure out a way to pay a seven something million dollar payment by April 10th. There's just really no way to do that. So you pay what you can up front, backfill with bonds, backfill with the insurance money. And a lot of it is just going to depend on how the language in that liability insurance contract is written as to whether as to how much they get back.
0: Before we move on to non-police related matters, I, I do want to touch on Wildhaber himself, because this has become a national story. And I put somebody who was not a national figure in the spotlight. And I'm going to play this clip now that I found very revealing, and then maybe Julie can touch on how this entire situation has affected his life.
1: Frankly, my mother found out from uh, uh, when I filed the lawsuit, and it made it onto TV. She told me she'd woke up one morning. I actually she, she called me that morning. She'd woke up and she was making her coffee, and she saw my picture on the TV and thought, "Oh my God, something happened to him last night." They haven't called me yet, and uh, then she said the story came on. And it was a whole lot about nothing. So that was her way of tell me that she was. Okay with the fact that she knew that I was gay. I hated for her to find out that
0: way. Basically, what they were saying is even though he was out as a gay man for, I guess, half of his career, his mother didn't know he was gay until a news story broke.
4: Yeah, it's not clear that other members of his family knew either. He was kind of a little bit tight tight lipped about that. What he did say in that clip and later was that coming out did not um, damage his relationship with his family. And in fact, when we asked, what are you using the money for? Or how are you going to deal with your newfound wealth? He said one of his top priorities was taking care of his family. And by that, he did mean his mother, his sister, his brother. I think he has nieces and nephews as well. You know What hit home to me is there are people in the police department in St. Louis County that do support Lieutenant Wildhaber, you know, like he did. He has had support. He has close friends. He made it very clear that one of the reasons he wants to stay is because he likes his job and the people he works with. And he shared an anecdote of after the lawsuit dropped, one of his colleagues bought him like a unicorn mug with like a rainbow on it. Um in a, in a way to show his support for him so like I, I want to mention that it's not a, a monolith in the police department where everyone was okay with him being denied promotions people people have different feelings over there
0: and I understanding he's gonna be going to New Orleans for Mardi Gras he
3: is going to New Orleans for Mardi Gras that's how he's celebrating he should have a grand old time that does not sound like fun to me
0: well <laughs> Rachel Julie thank you for joining me for this segment We'll be right back where I will be interviewing St. Louis Post-Dispatch reporter Jacob Barker about Rex St. Feld's money flowing to a number of interesting places. We'll be back right after this break. And welcome back to Politically Speaking. We are now joined by St. Louis Post-Dispatch reporter Jacob Barker. He is actually at a rest stop in California to do this interview. Is that accurate, Jacob, first of all?
2: Um, a scenic, scenic overlook. Uh, along Highway
0: 1. Well, as I always say, similar to the recording artist Pitbull, politically speaking, is Mr. Worldwide. Um, (laughs) That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about an article that came out this past weekend where you talked about how some of Rex Singfeld's donations had been going through third parties and nonprofit groups in order. To boost Steve Stenger's political efforts, I want you to explain the gist of your story and what you found.
2: Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Jason. Um, to basically, uh, you know, I we had just always been curious. There, there was a little Easter egg um, hidden in, uh, uh, not hidden, but in uh, former County Executive Steve Stenger's sentencing memorandum from the from the feds, and where they kind of revealed that Sinkfield had donated um, or his his organizations. Donated about seven hundred thousand dollars to Stenger's political efforts, um, and it was always we knew where like two hundred thousand of that came from because uh, one of Singfield's organizations had donated it to a two hundred thousand to a fire protection district pack. Um, my colleague Tony Messenger uncovered that shortly before the August 2018 primary, but where the other half million dollars, how how that got to help Stenger was always kind of a mystery, um, since. Since his uh, uh sentencing in in August and uh last month when the Missouri ethics commission issued a ruling forcing a a nonprofit um that was uh, affiliated with the political action committee for um one of the medical marijuana legalization questions in 2018 uh Missourians for patient care um the Missouri Ethics Commission forced them to disclose all of their donors, and it turned out that Sinkfield's organization, um, again, had, had donated about a million dollars to his nonprofit. So you, had, you would have had no idea during the election that, that Sinkfield, other than some of the players like Travis Brown being uh, often in his orbit, that he was involved in this. So that spurred me to kind of go back and look at some of these filings from this Fire Protection District pack. Um, and and some of these other organizations that were tied to Stenger. And I noticed in in November, the Fire Protection District uh, PAC that Stenger used and and was mentioned in the federal indictment um, had filed a new disclosure in November of 2019, So um, and that was a month after the PAC had dissolved, um, saying that $250,000 that it had previously reported as coming from an associated nonprofit, Missouri Association of Fire Protection Districts, had actually come from Great St. Louis, which is uh, Sinkfield's uh, Sinkfield affiliated nonprofit. Um, now, it wasn't quite nobody, I couldn't get a hold of anybody from the fire district to explain why that was changed, but it, it originally had been reported as coming through a nonprofit, then was revealed to have come from the Sinkfield affiliated nonprofit. So, you know, it, it could have been a mistake, I suppose, but um, at the time during the election, uh, when, when Stenger was, uh, actually it was used to oppose a, a ballot initiative in November, uh, in St. Louis County. I mean, you would have had no idea that, that Sinkfield, uh, was putting money into that, into that effort.
0: Do you have any idea of like why it went through this fire protection pack? And do you also have any idea of why money went through the carpenters union pack as well? Cause you mentioned that aspect in your story. You know, I I don't know because you know Sinkfield has you know
2: written checks in his name before. He's usually not shy about writing uh, big checks. Um, so you know, I, it's it's anybody's guess. You know, when I asked uh, Sinkfield's organization, when I asked, uh, you know, Tra- they preferred me to Travis Brown, and and when I asked why they would use you know the carpenters and. Uh, the fire protection district uh, pack. Uh, he just said we we donated because we got requests. You know, it was a very uh, brief kind of statement, but that was uh, that was how they put it.
0: I actually touch base with the aforementioned Travis Brown, who has been kind of the point person for Sinkfeld's political efforts, I think, for well over a decade now. And the thing that was striking to me about your story, Jacob, is that Sinkfeld back in the 2000s was very adamant about donating to candidates and causes directly because it was kind of a transparent way of showcasing his financial or philosophical support for either a candidate or a cause. And what you outlined in your story seems inherently contradictory to that philosophy. So I asked Travis Brown, like, is this contradicting what Rex Sinkfeld told me in 2007? This is what he told me in an email, Democrat primaries and elections created the past dark money requests. We did not. We received requests from labor organizations to assist the passage of various efforts. Sinkfeld opposes anything that could stagnate the region. Sinkfeld supports any idea, directly or indirectly, that can grow our region and state. Don't hate the players, hate the game. What do you make of that statement? By Travis Brown.
2: Well, you know, I I suppose that that kind of is the same uh, same thing they told me that they were just responding to requests uh for for donations. Um you know, that, that that may be um you know, and it it may not have been on Sinkfield's side. It may have been um you know, if if Stenger's operation did not want to be seen as taking assistance from Rex Sinkfield. He he you know, could be perceived as a political liability uh, for a Democrat like Stenger to take money. I mean, Marilita Krusen says, I don't take money from Rex Sinkfield. It's a matter of principle. So if, you know, Stenger may not want to have been seen as as accepting money from Sinkfield, who knows? Um, but yeah, you know, they they have in the past, Sinkfield has in the past, not been shy about putting his, his name on, on the checks he writes.
0: And I also asked, Travis Brown, if Sinkfeld was planning to get involved in the upcoming special election for County Executive, where St. Louis County Executive Sam Page is expected to run against Assessor Jake Zimmerman and potentially against Mark Monavani and others. Uh, Travis Brown told me, the dark money in the Page primary could be epic. No decisions have yet been made. Criticizing our past doesn't dissuade us from engagement. To the contrary, it might invite us in. So it's not out of the question from reading that statement that Singfeld and his political operation could get involved somehow in political activities in the coming months. I, I do want to touch on something that you just mentioned, though. You did say that St. Louis Mayor Lida Cruson has not directly taken any money from Rex Singfeld, even though some of the staffers in her political orbit, people like Ed Rohde and Michael Kelly, have been involved in Sinkfeld efforts in the past. What do you think that this entire situation and Sinkfeld's involvement in democratic politics like means for governance and elections in in Saint, in the St. Louis region? I know that's kind of an open-ended question, but I I kinda wanna give you a chance to like explain like what's the big takeaway from this story and what's the big takeaway about Sinkfeld's involvement?
2: Well, I mean, I I think we we shouldn't be surprised that that Sinkfield's operation wants to influence the power structure, be it in Jefferson City or in in St. Louis and or uh, and Clayton. Um, I mean, you know, Sinkfield would, while he he writes a lot of checks to statewide Republicans, um, he of course has has been a big supporter of local officials. He he wrote big checks to former St. Louis Mayor Francis Slay. Um, and I think actually during the 2014 election, he might have uh, given some money to to Dooley. Um and then also the the potential uh, Republican the uh, Republican candidate who was running that year. So I mean I think he's always you know plunked down money you know in the St. Louis region behind and the, because the the heads of the governments tend to be Democrats, so. Um I don't think we should be surprised. I think it's just um you know un- uncovering this 700,000 was more an exercise in you know uh, f- kind of solving this mystery because I think until the the feds revealed it and and the stenger sentencing memorandum it just was not clear to the extent that Sinkfield was using his um largess to help Stenger's political efforts.
0: Well, Jacob, thank you for taking time out of your your hard-earned vacation to talk with me today. You can read more of Jacob's stories at stltoday.com. And how can people follow your work on the World Wide Web or through social media, Jacob?
2: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter um, at Jacob Barker.
0: Thank you very much. We'll be right back after this quick break. And I'm back with St. Louis Public Radio's Julie O'Donohue in our final segment that we lovingly call Show Me Something. I'm going to talk about an experience that I had in the past weekend where I was in Columbia, Missouri, judging a competition from the Reynolds Journalism Institute. And these student teams were coming up with an app that could detect if video or audio had been deep-baked. Deep-baking is the process of having a video of somebody saying something taking a computerized face of somebody completely different, putting it on the body of that video, and oftentimes having them say things that they didn't actually say. And this has become a much bigger problem throughout media and journalism over the past few years as technology to do what I just said becomes a lot easier. When I was covering Ferguson five years ago, one of the things that I think separated credible people on social media from uncredible people was the fact that the credible people took video and put photos of things that were happening on Twitter and Facebook. And that was instantly more credible than somebody just writing something down. What I'm really worried about, and one of the reasons I said yes about judging this competition, especially with an election cycle coming up, but also just with the possibility of blackmailing prominent people is that that credibility of of visual confirmation is going to be compromised. Julie, I'm not sure if this is something that you've thought a lot about, but given that the credibility of journalism is a constant topic, I'd be interested what your outside opinion of this entire process is.
4: Well, I think a related issue is now it's very easy to clone someone's voice. Like if it's a person who's spoken enough in public, you can kind of rework their voice to say almost anything. And I remember hearing probably a public radio report on that and being absolutely terrified. I mean, I think people are going to make mistakes. When I say people, I mean journalists are going to make mistakes. But I also think it's important for us to remember that we need to know where something's coming from, probably now more so than ever before. Like. These types of videos um, are going to be a problem, but also it means that you have to vigil- be vigilant about your sourcing. And certainly if you don't know where it's from, you know, there's going to be a learning curve, but maybe you shouldn't be running with it.
0: That was a great point, point. and there was actually an application that just detected audio, especially if the audio was synthesized, basically created by a computer which I think is a real problem. It's going to become a problem like when audio is floating around social media or if somebody calls somebody using audio synthesis and trying to bilk money out of them. What I think is going to be also a problem that I don't know an app can detect is just dishonest editing of audio. It's entirely possible that You could have a completely real clip of somebody talking, but just editing it in a certain way to completely change the meaning.
4: I mean, it is really hard when you get audio dropped on you and you're like, it's coming from not an official source, right? So uh, one time I was interested in an ethics committee ruling, and they were going to take a week to get me the audio. And one of the people who was there for a particular case just basically gave me their audio recording. And we had a long discussion in my newsroom about whether to even run that because you don't really know this is a person who's an interested party. You know, you don't know. And the end of the day, we did. But, I mean, I think this happened actually recently to Nancy Pelosi. I
0: I think what you're referring to is that the the voicing was slowed down to make her seem drunk. Right. When it was clearly not – that was not what she sounded like. Right. So I see this as a real problem. Competitions like this, I think, are not only useful for like cultivating technologies that can hopefully detect deep fakes, but also raise awareness that this is going to become a, a big problem in the public.
4: Absolutely. It's why we're talking about it on the podcast.
0: Well, thank you very much, as always, Julie, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Shula Newman is our executive editor. Fred Ehrlich is our politics editor. How can people follow you on the World Wide Web, Julie?
4: At J.S.O. Donahue.
0: You can follow Rachel on Twitter at Lipman, two Ps, two Ns. You can follow me on Twitter at J. Rosenbaum. Have a good weekend, everybody.